0: hello okay if everyone would take a seat I'm not even going to give you a uh, warning I'm running late I've had technical difficulties so if everyone will find a seat everyone find a seat. Thank you. Megan's the only one that found a seat. Okay. I apologize. We're a few minutes late. I uh, was trying to work on um, my iPad, and I messed up, so I had technical difficulties. You do things in the computer that you unintendedly didn't want to do, and now it won't work. So I'm going to have to go back to the old school. Yeah. Technology, don't you love it? All right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Anyway, let's, let's open in a word of prayer. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for a wonderful morning and a good night's rest. These small graces that you give us. We thank you for the opportunity today to study a little bit about forgiveness. We ask your blessing upon this time and also on the service to follow. May you be glorified in it and help us through it. In Christ's name, amen. Okay. We're going over forgiveness. Is this thing going to work? Not clicking. The, right you, the big button, right? I might have to do that, like a prayer breakfast. <laughs> you know At the prayer breakfast, community prayer breakfast, he had a real hard time with that. He had a beautifully slick presentation, and he kept having to say, next slide, and then it wouldn't next, and three of them would jump, and it it was really bad. David, if you can't do it, let's just, you got it? We're good. All right. Granting our forgiveness, chapter 10. I am substituting for chance. He's in New York City. Enjoying Christmas in New York City. Um, yes. We, we, we need to feel a lot of pain for him. Anyway, I am I am a poor substitute. And as a substitute, don't take advantage of me like you did your school substitutes. Alright? Chapter 10 is a is a extension. Of chapter 11 of this book, or chapter 7, rather. Chapter 7 was really talking, and this is an expansion of forgiveness and how we do that. Why do we need to live a life of forgiveness? Two questions. And then, how do we forgive those who have wronged us? First question Why do we need to live a life of forgiveness? Christ commanded it for sure. It'll eat, you up if you don't forgive. It'll eat you up if we don't forgive. What do you mean by eating up? <coughs> what comes to my mind is developing a heart of bitterness. And anger. That's exactly right. Christ commanded it, and He commanded it for a reason. So the next question is, how do we forgive those who have wronged us? And that's what he's going to unpack a little bit here. Um, Luke 17, 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and he turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Keller says something very interesting. Notice the first phrase, the first sentence. Pay attention to yourself. In other words, watch yourself. Why in the world do we need to watch ourselves when we're talking about forgiveness? Any ideas? You're right. When we are wronged, we pay a lot of attention to the wrongdoer. And it's very easy to have an unforgiving spirit grow on ourselves. So the focus always is shifting to what the person did to you, to the person. So scripture and Christ tells us to watch yourself, pay attention to yourself. Hebrews 12, 15. And see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Seth, that's exactly what you were saying of why we need to forgive. By watching ourselves, which here in Hebrews 12, he calls see to it, and Keller identifies this term as it means to pay close attention to something. If we don't recognize our anger and our unforgiveness, and we might just say, oh, it's fine, I'm not angry, I'm just a little upset. Or you might say, don't worry about it. We do these things to try to maintain an image as a good Christian. Then we grow in resentment. And what sprouts out of the heart resentment is bitterness unless we deliberately forgive with the help of Christ and what the gospel offers us our anger will defile us so how are we going to keep all the wrongs the snubs biases or even real injustices from turning you into a bitter Unforgiving person. Keller points us to how to forgive and how to forgive well. Parts of internal heart forgiveness is where he takes us. First one is identifying with the wrongdoer. Heart forgiveness is hard but necessary. It's necessary to keep us from becoming someone whom we if we could look into the future we would never even want to look like or be. So what does it mean to identify with the wrongdoer? If you remember Luke 17, if your brother sins against you, and if they repent, forgive them, Jesus' implication, the brother or sister who sins against you is still a brother or sister like whom you are and you are to love. That's 1 John 3.14. In chapter 7, Keller really expanded the idea of identifying with the wrongdoer. Do you know what he's driving at about identifying with the wrongdoer? Identifying is a difficult word. When I was talking to Denise, and we were talking about it, what does it mean to identify with the wrongdoer? How does Luke 17 deal with that? Right. We are co-sinners with them. That's the idea we are also human like them. What happens in uh, a wrong being done to us is that you tend to want to identify that person with that wrong, that sin that they sinned against you. So they become a one-dimensional person, just that sin. So in part of the identifying with the person is you recognize that that person is not just that sin. We tend to want to boil them down that way. Do we not? When you look at that person, you immediately think, oh yeah, they did that to me. We're multi-dimensional people, both the wrongdoer and us, but we see them a lot of times as just one dimensional. So your heart tries to push against the perpetrator, looking down on them, resenting them, which can lead to self righteousness. And that's deadly. It's deadly in your walk with Christ, and it's deadly in trying to live a life that's reflecting our Savior. If you do not see that you too are a sinner in need of grace, your resentment will twist and defile you. If you are to forgive them, you must identify with the wrongdoer. You are co-sinners and co-humans. The next point is inwardly pay the debt of the wrongdoer. This is another one that the words can trip us up. Paying the debt. How, how does someone pay the debt of the, of the wrongdoer I think. That's right because when wrong is done it's a co- there's a cost to it Paying the debt and absorbing the debt, I think, are synonyms. He uses paying the debt a lot. This is not the kind of paying the debt that only Christ can pay. I don't want to get that confused. But it is part of the gospel that works out in our lives to give us the capacity to absorb the wrong without seeking retribution or extracting The payment from them. You're willing to bear that. When you forgive the wrongdoer, you now bear the cost of what the person has done. There's always a cost to wrongdoing. The cost may be in personal reputation or relationships or health or something else. But to forgive is not exacting repayment by inflicting on them things, quote, to even the score. To forgive is to give the wrongdoer a gift that they do not in any way deserve. You do this in love of the other person, just as Christ has forgiven you. Sometimes it takes a lifetime to do that years decades sometimes to forgive from your heart that way i had shared with you last time i was up here on chapter two about my mother and and i shared that with malcolm when we had breakfast about how my mom had a hard time forgiving my father and the divorce and remarriage of each other twice But she wanted to forgive him. She made the choice to forgive him. It took decades for her to do that. But in the end, she was able to. And I told the story several weeks ago. And she sort of did the last point of this that I'm going to go through, and that's willing the good of the wrongdoer. She could actually hope that my father was doing well in his life. That's the third part of the heart forgiveness is willing the good of the wrongdoer. Now Keller goes through this and he talks about it with Christ on the cross. When he said, Father forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus turned to the father and prayed for them and at the same time he was acknowledging what they were doing was wrong because he's asking his father to forgive them so what they were doing was was sinful he was willing their good just as Stephen did in Acts when he was being killed by stoning he was telling praying to his Father, forgive them, Father. Have mercy on them. That was in Acts 7. Keller says that willing the offender's good is a kind of test. My question is, is how can that be kind of a test? A test. A test of one's heart. Willing a wrongdoer's good. I think what he's driving at is when you truly forgive from your heart, then you can truly will good for them. Is that sort of litmus test? If you really can't will their good, you're, you're not th- you're not there yet. But this is the thing. And this is what Keller says, and I think it's very true. If you have both identified with the wrongdoer, like we just talked about, and you begin the process of inwardly paying down the debt of that person's offense, you'll be more freed over time to start willing their good. So this is a process. It's not a one, one and done deal. Is there any questions over these three points? Anything that I might have misspoke? Do you want an example? Sure. I think for a long time I was very that makes sense to people, but in That is an example. And it most of the time it's a process, mm-hmm. is it not? Let me go through some common misunderstandings of forgiveness. Excusing. Did we go to sleep over here? Or is that all we got? Maybe one of the misunderstandings is just freezing up. <laughs> How do you forgive technology? <laughs> okay. It probably is not, when we did all of this, there was some uh, formatting issues. Isn't that a nice vernacular to say? Oh, there it is. There we go. Oh. David, what'd you do? I was clicked on the wrong uh, part. I was clicked on on the notes for some reason. I don't know how I got that. But okay. I love it. We're back. Excuse me. You, you probably messed this up, too, when you messed up your iPad. <laughs> We're all messed up. <laughs> Excusing eliminates the need for forgiveness. Sometimes it, if the perpetrators are confronted, and we talked about that, go and talk to your brother. And he gives a good exam, ex, explanation of the reason for their actions, and we might understand it and accept it and excuse them. But that's not forgiveness. It's just basically determining that there was not a debt that was owed there. There was not an injury or a wrongdoing. The next one, denying or whitewashing. Uh Uh-oh. Can you click me again? There we are. Pretending a sin is not a sin isn't forgiveness. In fact, a full measure of debt and the cost must be reckoned for true forgiveness to take place. There we are. Refraining from active revenge. Forgiving, but not forgetting. Okay, this still holds the idea that you, that, that you still owe me. So when you say, I'm gonna just refrain from active revenge, but you better watch out. That is not forgiveness. You're still holding things over their head. Suspending judgment. I'll forgive this time, but you better watch out for the next one. Same Suspending judgment, excuse me. I was just, I got on my notes wrong. You're keeping score or you're keeping an account in the ledger. When you say, I'm going to suspend judgment, that's not forgiveness either. Now, this is an interesting one. Weaponizing, condescending mercy. How do we do that? Weaponize mercy. <laughs> Condescending. What does that communicate? I am I'm better than you are. I'm forgiving you. I'm giving you mercy. What does that really communicate? Is that forgiveness? No. It's what we said about it a little bit earlier. There is a kind of legalism that starts entering in there that's deadly. Then abandoning justice. People t- tend to either seek personal revenge in the belief that it is justice, or they don't even seek it at all. One is in vindictiveness, and the other is cowardice. But it's not forgiveness. And immediate trust. They come and they ask you. Uh, For forgiveness. and So that means we have to immediately resume the relationship with the wrongdoer at the level it was before. Is that true? No, it's not true. Trust must be restored before, and the speed it occurs depends on the response of the offender to the correction and also the offense. person must show evidence of true change over a period of time before we can trust that person. This isn't on everything about forgiveness, but there is an aspect that if there's a pattern of, of uh, sinful behavior, we must be careful in our forgiveness and the restoration of that relationship as they approach us. We can still forgive. Wisdom takes place in the aspects of restoration of that relationship and how far and what degree and those kind of things. And it takes time to do that. And wisdom. It's interesting, too. If you remember, we just went through John 21 with Peter's. Uh, Christ questioning Peter three times, and what did he ask Peter three times? Do you love me? And what is Blake's conclusion to that? It wasn't using the different uh, uh, different words for love. What was his point? What was Christ doing to Peter? What was Christ doing for Peter? What's that? Restoring. Restoring him. With this immediate trust issue, and as we're talking about this, this is sort of, I think, what Keller's driving at. Because Christ took Peter through a process, did he not? To restore him to have him depend on him and not his own flesh. This quote was good enough that um, I just want to have you read it as I read it. Vengeance is all about you, not about the honor of God or the good of the victims or the offender. But on the other hand, complete withdrawal is about you as well. Many people, when they're wrong, say, I don't want to deal with that person. I just don't want to talk to them. I don't want to have anything to do with them. But when someone wrongs you, if you resent them on the inside, but stay courteous and mute on the outside, you are the opposite of a disciple of Christ. He calls you to utterly forgive them on the inside. Mark 11:25 so you can speak the truth to them in love on the outside how can this be done the best way to start to is by praying for the wrongdoer just leave it there Jesus tells us to both love and pray for our enemies, Matthew 5, 44, as he himself did on the cross. It also means to refrain internally from recounting what they did to you. It means forgiving wrongdoers, 70 times seven. What was the disciples' response to this command? To forgive 70 times seven. Their response was, increase my faith. Many of y'all may feel the same way when having to deal with forgiveness. I know I certainly have and do at times. Is it even possible? Okay, the practices of, of forgiveness. Christianity gives us both practices and resources for forgiveness. Of course, this includes the practice of prayer, as as I just mentioned. Forgiveness is not primarily and originally an emotion. Forgiveness is granted before it is felt, and not felt before it's granted. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is granted before it is felt and not felt before it is granted. Because if you wait for the right feeling, you'll never grant forgiveness. It is an act of the will, forgive. It is a practice. Before it is a feeling. And it is something you can begin doing on a daily basis, over time. Your heart will soften instead of harden. Now, practicing, the practices, no, go back, please. The practices is an interesting word. When you think of practice, what do you think of? Seth, what do you think of when you say you practice? That's pretty good. I think of, well, you practice to get better to compete. So you think of it in a sports motif. That's just what I always like. I'm going to basketball practice. But I think a better framework for that is in the medical field. A physician has a practice. Because what he learned in medical school, he starts implementing in his clinical office, in his practice. And through that, and continually learning and growing in the understanding of medicine and the individuals within that within his practice, he becomes a better doctor. But I think that is much the same way it is in the Christian life. The practices or daily disciplines of prayer and reading God's Word with the Holy Spirit attending, we grow in our understanding of God and what He has done for us. We also grow in our understanding of the many aspects of the gospel. Through these means of grace, he changes us and creates the capacity to forgive. So what are these daily disciplines of forgiveness? First of all, you take an inventory. How do we exact payment from wrongdoers? Cutter remarks. Drag out the past. Go ahead and highlight them all. Save me the problem. More demanding and controlling them because they owe us. You pay particular more attention of taking care of and making sure and demanding for that particular person than any others. You punish with self-righteous mercy, which we just sort of talked about. You, be, you become cold or you avoid them both, maybe overtly, but maybe subtly or passively. You scheme to harm them or to take value from them somewhere. You run them down to other people. You do that saying, let me warn you about this person. You run them down by sharing the hurt to others, looking for that sympathy from that other person. You replay replay the recordings to ourselves. What does that mean? You replay the recordings. I relive in the feeling. The anger starts growing. It's that self-talk, that conversation you have in your head even before you start talking to them. You, we do this when you're in an argument and you're already ramped up and the guy hadn't even said a word. That self-talk. And when you're wronged, it's even worse. So what does Scripture say? Watch yourself. Part of it. And then, of course, we hope for their pain or failure. Those are the things that Keller came up at how we exact payment for wrongdoers. So one of the disciplines is you take an inventory of yourself and say, am I doing these things? Yes, I do some of these things, the self-talk, very difficult. Very difficult. But he goes on and says you have two inner divine resources. Next slide, please. You have inner poverty. What is inner poverty? What do you think it is? I thought it was a very unusual word. It brings it brings to mind all sorts of imagery. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And what's the attitude of that, Roxanne? They know You're, you know your own simpleness. humility, humbleness, spiritual humil- humility. There's no other better way to get humility needed for forgiveness. And just what you said, Roxanne, to accept what the gospel says about you. I'm a sinner in need of grace. Believing the uh, the tea and tulip. Total depravity. Yeah. But there's other things, too, because we're thinking of ourselves. Let's think of the wrongdoer. We are made by God and owe him everything, and none of us love him with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And Paul in Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That's the first one of divine resources that he has given us. Inner wealth is the second. What do you think inner wealth is then? He's talking about inner poverty. To extend to other people. He took it right out of Keller's mouth. Exactly, exactly. It's you also, <laughs> And along with that is the assurance of God's love for you. If you are people who are rich in their experience of God's love in Christ can be generous to others. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And then, of course, there's another aspect of inheritance. We are joint heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, providing we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. And Marty already answered this question. How does this knowledge affect our wrongs or hurts? How does this knowledge affect our wrongs and hurts? If you sense yourself as wealthy in Christ, a small slight, Your reputation is really nothing because of the love of Christ we have. The small snubs, the other sins that are committed against us because we are like wealthy people, not poor. If we grasp what the gospel tells us about who we are and will be in Christ, You can look at the wrongdoers and say, you can't ruin me. You cannot ultimately rob me of the real wealth of goods I have. Because a lot of times when we're unforgiving, we are also protecting something that is of value to us. And sometimes that, (laughs) in the wrongs that are done to us we also see the wrongs that we were holding in wrong attitudes colossians 119 For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Christ. And Jesus is the place you get your reconciliation to God, to others, and eventually to all things in creation. Next next bullet point, please. Corey Tinboom many of y'all know, survived a concentration camp in Nazi Germany in World War II. Her sister died there. It was at Ravenbrook Prison. In one of her gospel presentations in Germany, much later, a man came up to her, and she recognized him as one of the guards. The Brazen Book Prison. And he came in with tears in his eyes, recognizing God's great gift of his forgiveness for all the awful things that he did. And he stuck out his hand to shake her hand. And according to her account, her hand remained by her side. She could not shake that man's hand. As he's describing these things with his hands still stuck out, she's thinking, God, help me. Help me forgive you. I can at least lift my hand. I could do that much. And she did. She said as soon as he grasped her hand, her heart changed. The love of Christ, blood of her. Now, it's a dangerous, Keller said I, he was reluctant to put this in because many, many times in normal circumstances, you don't have that kind of immediate experience in that forgiveness. This is what you have. And this is Corey's last, one of her last statements. I wish I could s- say the merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flow from me from then on, but they didn't. If there's if there's not on, but one thing I've learned at 80 years of age, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw from them fresh God each day. Last slide. Increase our faith the apostle said to the lord increase our faith and the lord said if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed you could say to this mulberry tree be uprooted and plant it in the sea and it would obey you keller concludes this chapter by saying quote this chapter should be read as an answer to those who complain quote this idea of forgiveness is beyond me it's impossible We don't have enough faith. Jesus says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could do what I'm asking. That is, if you understand the gospel at all, if you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you at all, you have what you need. All of this, the whole book, is grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Both as an example of what true forgiveness looks like as well as the means and power to do it. Questions? We are... Done with the formal lecture. Any comments? Are y'all feeling sort of down? Or are y'all feeling a little hopeful? Both in capacity, but also in wisdom, timing. Bobby said something to me years and years ago when I was having to confront and I was struggling of timing. And he said, well, when you're ready to go over there and just really talk to him, that's probably when you don't need to do it. But when you're going, I really don't want to do this. I just, I really, that's probably the right time to go. (laughs) In some ways, that's really true. I don't think you remember saying that. But it, it is true. Timing is everything, too. And we live in community with each other. And we sin against each other. What do we do biblically to manage the anger? Forgive. <laughs> Tongue in cheek. I agree with you. But there is an aspect to this that we have to be recognize and that is you can't wait you can't wait to feel like to forgive to forgive. it is a volitional act but by doing that and making that volition say i'm i want i want to forgive him i want i want to choose this and you start working on it you start working on paying down that debt. is what all i can say is is from my experience when i was going through counseling as a young man and the counselor told my mom i don't think he will ever be able to have a relationship with his father and i stand here now to say i did i can't tell you exactly when that happened because i was so bitter and so angry over it but by the work of Christ in my heart, things started changing. Because intuitively, even though I didn't go through this cognitively at the time, I knew I needed to forgive because excessive bitterness eats you up. It's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It was killing me. So I had to do the work over that. Period of time, but I loved my father over that period of time. What you're describing is a process, and it is a process. It is a process, and this is hard for us. You know, you're speaking on so many different levels. Why do we come to preaching? Why do we come to worship? Because sometimes we walk out of there and I feel like I've been taken to the woodshed. I needed to be taken to the woodshed. The other parts of that is we live lives as as bumper cars, particularly in in, in a church, in families, even more uh, intimate, in, in living with someone as in marriages and kids, siblings. During this time, particularly in holidays, is always stressful because of that because Differences. Maybe that's part of why this is hap- why this is being talked about right now. That's God's time. John, I hear what you're saying, and it is a dynamic, dynamic life that we're called to live. But so one of hope, one of wealth. And that He calls us to do these things. Faithful is he who calls you. Faithful is he who will do it. And so those are the resources that we rely on. Each and every one of us. To go to a brother to to say that hurt my feelings or that injured me. Um, Takes courage in some ways. But if you are harboring things against that brother or sister... Something has to be dealt with there. Don't let it grow into a root of bitterness, Because that's deadly. And that's one of these big points that I think, personally. So, um, I have enjoyed it. Even though this was a one-day prep, um, I wish I could have had more time. But life is life. Last comments? Oh yeah probably